Welcome to the Water People Podcast. I'm Lauren Hill, and my co-host is Dave Rastovich. This episode is presented in partnership with Who Gives a Crap? They deliver recycled TP to your doorstep and donate half of their profits to help build toilets and improve sanitation for those in need. Today, we're in conversation with Daisy and Amayan Goodwin, a couple of exceptional surfers. Daisy is a two-time world longboard champion, and Amayan made a successful career as a multifaceted waterman, renowned for his easy approach to pipeline and other waves of consequence. Now with three wildlings, Daisy and Amayan have become known for their free-range approach to parenting, while maintaining surfing lives of their own. In 2016, they delivered the film Given Into the World, named after their firstborn son. It's a documentary that follows their family from their home island of Kauai through 15 countries in the quest for surf and to fulfill a calling handed down through the generations. Our podcast comes to you from the coastal land and waters of both the Bundjalung and Gubby Gubby nations. We'd like to acknowledge these traditional custodians and pay respects to elders past, present, and emerging. We'd also like to extend that respect to all First Nations people this podcast ripples out toward. I grew up with uh, pictures of Daisy surfing on my wall. She was one of the original Roxy girls, and I had an ad of her air dropping down the face of the most beautiful crystalline wave on my wall as a teenager um, aspiring to be, you know, a, a longboarding woman. And when you have the chance to meet the people who adorned your childhood walls, there's always going to be this sort of wide-eyed air of awe and respect for them. And that's definitely true of how I feel about Daisy. She's a beautiful surfer and really helped to bring the grace and subtlety um, and beauty of women's longboarding into the fold of mainstream surf culture and media. So she's been a real beacon in the culture for me. Mm. I remember when the Roxy Girl phenomena started and it was largely based around Daisy and mm. I guess a few of her friends. Veronica uh, Kay, yep. Lisa and, Anderson, yep. later Cassia. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it was really great to see uh, some playfulness in surfing at a time where, you know, there was plenty of um, men on the surfing world circuit who were scrapping and <laughs> and fighting and some women too actually in the mm. dunes there's stories of trudy todd and other surfers having scraps in the dunes mm. for a heat um but you know there's a lot of seriousness there and uh just to see a representation of some of the other aspects of surfing at that time even though i i didn't really longboard then and in Hawaii, you would occasionally go to town and ride the fun waves of uh, Waikiki on big tandem boards with your friends. You know, it was a different type of surfing. Mm. But what was always expressed was a playfulness and a joy with that skill. Yeah. So that was really refreshing. I remember that feeling like something new and celebratory. Yeah. Yeah, it felt that way for me too. It felt yeah. like even though there's been, you know, cultural criticism about the youthfulness of the Roxy Girl, or in our chat with Isaiah Walker, he spoke about the sort of plasticized Hawaiian mm. culture that Roxy brought into many of our lives. But beside that, what resonated with me was this, yeah, playful, feminine, joyous spirit of surfing that really wasn't being reflected in other parts of representations of the culture. And to finally see women in surfing magazines actually surfing yeah. was really something yeah. that Roxy helped pioneer in yeah. that period of surfing culture. Totally. And as a, a leading edge of a new mm. change there, which was, okay, here are these images of these women having fun. Thank you for even, like you said, having images of women surfing yeah. in magazines that were such a sword fight of just men and tough men usually. Mm. And I can say that because at that time I was in magazines myself and trying to have nuanced conversations largely around ecological issues, but it was like pulling teeth to try and get anyone to talk about anything other than basically high-performance macho surfing. Mm. It was a real escapist uh, and very exclusive surfing 
uh, industry at that time. And Very Southern California centric. <laughs> yeah. As someone from the East Coast, that felt yeah, especially exactly. true. So that was, you know, it was just a time that was interesting. And then Amayan is in there too at that same time. Mm. He was uh, another surfer um, like myself who was not competitive, just not a, a hyper-competitive uh, surfer, but he has amazing skill in the water, especially in waves of consequence. And he was at that time um, beginning a trajectory of, surfing around the world and, you know, exploring new surf zones and doing so in a way that was fresh and interesting because of his his background in uh, being raised both in Hawaii and in remote Fiji. Mm. And that, that was something really intriguing about Amayan at that time. He had a real wild man allure. Yeah, but he's such a sweet and gentle giant. He's a big fella. Mm. And if he wanted to be a scrapper or a bit of a rough guy, he could be, but he's not. And I think those skills, both Daisy's uh, dexterity and amazing surfing ability and Amayan's wonderful nature and heavy water skills is something that we've both seen channel into their parenting mm. and found inspiring, yeah, mm. as other young surf-crazed parents. You know, there's a, a light that they shine that is really lovely and I know we've spent time with them and seen their parenting before we had our boy mm. and we're really inspired by their outdoor, rogue, free, wild nature but focused too, you know. Like I remember Given just fossicking the beach here where we live for so long on his own, so comfortable and so enchanted by the natural world, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember watching Given and True jump into the creek in front of our house. There wasn't much water in it, but they just jumped in and covered themselves in mud. And there was just an ease and a sense of belonging in the living world that was so refreshing. And there was no fear in a way that I often witness kids sort of timidly approaching wilder spaces. And so, yeah, I was very inspired and, and also just really inspired by the ease and the joy with which they do life. Mm. Yeah. And that makes having a conversation with them very interesting and wonderful mm. to hear of those waves of challenge and joy and overcoming and meeting uh, parenting and um, doing the best you can. We start the podcast by asking our guests about a time or experience after which you were never the same. And since we have both of you here today, I was wondering if you have a story about a time like that that changed you as a couple. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Um, you can go first, babe. Okay. Obviously, birth is such a just a crazy time in anyone's life. And for the first child, it was definitely one that radically shifted the trajectory of us as humans, us as a married couple. We had both been pro surfers and kind of on our own path for the first four years of our marriage. I was also in, you know, playing my music and going all over and a mine was traveling all over. And so we really hadn't gotten to know each other if that, in, in a weird way. Like we were our own people kind of like in a relationship. It was, it was strange. And when we got pregnant. Um, it was kind of the same thing. You know, I was kind of like, it was, I kind of just was me and the baby in my belly and mine was just traveling and surfing. And then when we ended up having him at his parents' house, all the way out in the middle of nowhere, I was totally determined not to have him in a hospital. So I was two weeks late and it was obviously a big baby. I mean, people still to this day are like, I've never seen someone get as big as you did. I mean, I gained like 55 pounds, but I swear it was all in my belly. It was like the biggest belly you've ever seen. <laughs> and it was time, you know, I was like, okay, here we go. I had like, you know, I had my birth CD. And if you've ever had a baby, you know, all that goes out the window when the contractions start. And the next thing I know, it was almost 24 hours later what was, and the baby still wasn't out. And, um, you know, we had the hospital calling us for a week saying, Hey, you know, we're just checking in on you. We know your due date's coming up, um, or it has already come up. And Amayan's mom was going to deliver the baby. So we, I had no fear. Like I just knew it was going to be okay. But at the end of it, I pushed for five hours and, you know, he still wasn't coming out. And then when he finally did come out, he had a complete cone head I couldn't push anymore. So I couldn't birth the placenta and I started hemorrhaging. 
And here we are in the middle of nowhere, literally, and an hour and a half from the nearest hospital. It's pitch black. It's like 830 at night. And I'm getting up to like get your placenta out and just a gallon of blood comes out every time. And I'm like seeing the light, like the, the, the real story. And then, you know, then I get rushed to the hospital. I lose two thirds of my blood. I almost die. It was a medical miracle. It was this whole thing. We birthed the 10, or I birth a 10 pound baby who looks three months when in the pictures, he does not look like a newborn wow. at all. That's given. And that, you know, I remember waking up in the hospital and and, you know, they tell Amaya that he's that I might not make it. Like, I had to sign my life away. It was a very, like, crazy, real thing. Meanwhile, his parents had our baby the first night because we did not want him to be in the hospital. You know, you hear all these horror stories. So then, you know, I wake up and he's by my side. And I remember thinking, like, wow, that's so awesome that you're here. But I didn't think that you'd be here. Like, I thought you'd be with the baby. And it just shifted our whole relationship where all of a sudden I had this husband that was actually going to be right by my side and like support me through every little thing instead of me having to support myself, which I was good at. Like I grew up as a survivor. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't bothered by it, but it, all of a sudden I had this relationship with my husband where it was like, okay, now we have to raise this like alien baby. If you remember as a new parent, <laughs> what is this thing? You know, those first couple months, you're like, what do I do? Like, this is so crazy. And so it just, it just put us on a, on a different path of like, seeing each other in a different light, which was, was beautiful. You know, it had to, it had to happen that way. Wow. Wow. That is a big story. Wow. That's so fantastic. Baby. (laughs) That's a big baby for, for reference. Minnow, our little guy was born almost seven weeks early and he was five pounds. (laughs) So literally (laughs) given was twice the size. Yeah. He was huge. Yeah. I mean, to add to that story, Daisy was just saying too, on my end a little bit, it was like, when that was going down, I was like writing a story for like a, a trip I had gone on somewhere while she's giving birth. You know, I'm, I'm right next to her, but I wasn't there, you know, really like focused and being with her just, just, you know, just young and like, whatever. It wasn't really, you know, I, I was excited and everything was, you know, I was like, wow, we're having a baby. But once that moment came and the baby came out and then, and then I could see, when Daisy went into that survival mode where it was like, well, you know, I could lose my wife here. It just, that was a kick in the butt right there. And that, that really um, opened my eyes a, a, a huge amount and, and really uh, made me appreciate her as a woman and as a mother, as my wife, mm-hmm. to see her strength. And um, I mean, I was able to go in the um, ambulance with her on the drive he wouldn't even talk and, to me. Uh, he was like, he was like and there's so a, there's out. a guy in the back, the ambulance guy, the doctor guy. And he's like, what were you thinking? What are you, you know, like kind of, kind of attacking her a little bit. And she was still with it a little bit. And she's like, don't you fucking put fear in me. I'm like, whoa, babe, that's just nuts. And then, you know, and then seeing her in the hospital, like she went into once she came out on the stroller, she was out. Stroller, um, stretcher. <laughs> stretcher. She was out. Uh, and the doctor's like, oh, she's she's fine. She's sleeping. And um, she had one of those those breathing masks on, those clear breathing masks. All of a sudden, she just starts breathing, but like heavier. And then foam starts coming out of her mouth. And she starts doing the worm. Wow. Like going convulsing. And people are... T- Doctors are jumping on her to hold her down. And I'm like, what's going on? And then like the guy like slams the needle in her leg. And I was like, ah, it was just <laughs> such an intense, intense time. Like I was like, I went out and like for the first time in a long time, like shed a tear, like, you know, it was like had a moment to myself, like just like, whoa, just rattle, mm. you know? Mm. It's so big to watch someone you love, especially your partner, going through health challenges and to feel so helpless. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. It was a wild time, but. And are we on Kauai? Is this where all this happened? Yeah. Yeah. Way out. At the end of the road, basically, you know, the end of the road there. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because everyone was like, I can't believe you. Like you need to be in, you need to, you know, my mom was like, I, you have to be having this baby in the hospital. And I went and got myself, checked in like early on just so that my name was in there and just in case, you know? And so they knew that they knew that I was coming in when they, when they got the call, like, Oh, here she comes. And when I got rolled into that emergency room, I swear everyone looked like I was like 
Godzilla or like a ghost or something like they all had, they were so freaked out by the way that I looked. And I don't know, I must've looked, you know, I lost lost two thirds of my blood. Wow, It's like pretty, you know, it was pretty crazy. I'm curious about that experience and any previous experiences in your lives of radical intensity like that. Have either of you been in moments like that before that helped you navigate that kind of turbulence? Because, you know, like, I guess through the surfing life, especially coming from Kauai, where you you all have uh, grown up and and also you and I and spending time, a lot of time in remote Fijian islands, I'd gather you've been in some pretty, like, hairy situations and, and are not fully unfamiliar with, you know, radical moments. Was there anything that you called on in that time that you had learnt from life before that? Yeah, I mean, uh, when it's someone else, when it's yourself, as you know, it's like you're just in it and you, you deal with the situation and you're not really, the, the fear or the, the mind can't really come into play as much, I feel mm. like, mm. Uh, to where when it's someone you love and really dearly care about and that there's a different emotion there. Um, so I feel like there's probably some part of me that was 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 uh had had gone through something like that before but definitely nothing to prepare me for it like um i mean i was calm i wasn't like freaking scared, out though. but i was uh definitely you know yeah i was i was i was afraid i was like i was scared i'm gonna lose the woman of my the, you know my wife the woman of my dreams mm. i think that's a really interesting question i'd actually never thought of that but there was definitely a couple of times in my life where I almost drowned and that may be the closest, the closest feeling where you just have to trust. It was weird though. I knew it wasn't my time. Like I just knew in my heart that it wasn't my time. I had no, I had no fear that I was going to die. I wanted him to do the blood transfusion in the ambulance. I was like, I don't have to go to the hospital though. Right. Just do it right here. I just knew everything was going to be okay. But then when she had me sign my life, like, she's like, listen, I'm going to do all I can, but I'm from, she's like, I'm a New Yorker. And I'm going to let you know, like you are, you are in bad shape right now. And so you need to sign, you have to basically sign things saying that, you know, that you're not going to sue them or whatever that they did, you know, as much as they could. But there was a couple of times in my life where I made it to the other side of blacking out underwater. So that may have been, I don't know, that may have been like a, Mm helpful thing i'm not sure Mm. yeah i mean you know like there's that there's that closeness to to dying whether you know us as surfers we've had that in big waves or you know hitting your head and waking up underwater realizing you're underwater yeah that kind of feels more like an instinct that just comes that just happens when you're you just like oh i'm underwater i gotta get up like um or a big wave you know that you got to be calm in that that situation when it breaks in front of you so that's a little it's definitely different it was a different thing Mm. for sure yeah yeah Yeah. wow that's so massive thanks for sharing that story what a what a turbulent time Apologies for interrupting the conversation, but we'd like to take a moment to recognize the generous folks who help make this podcast possible. Two billion people around the world live without access to a toilet. That means lots of people head to their local beach or riverbank to do their business, which, when you're talking about two billion poos or more a day, doesn't make for healthy waterways or communities. My explorations in activism over the years made me feel like I had to be either leading campaigns or taking part in radical initiatives of some sort to be doing something in the world. Though now, especially at this time where many of us are staying home and localising, it feels really important to look at our daily decisions and you don't get more daily than making a dirt. And that's where Who Gives a Crap comes in. They are a B Corp that believes that access to a toilet is a basic human right and they donate 50% of profits to providing proper sanitation to those in need. And that, to me, feels like a great form of everyday activism. 27,000 trees are cut down every day to make toilet paper. We support Who Gives a Crap because they make toilet paper from recycled textbooks or bamboo and plastic-free packaging, so we all have a better option than chopping down trees to wipe our bums. 
We can all make a difference with as little as our toilet paper budget. Head to whogivesacrap.org and use the coupon code WATERPEOPLE to get 10 bucks off your first subscription. That's $10 off your first subscription purchase at whogivesacrap.org with coupon code WATERPEOPLE. We're both really partial to a good love story, and I was really curious, Daisy and Amayan, to know if you would share a little bit about your love story. I know that you knew each other as teenagers. I'm interested to know what that trajectory was toward, yeah, getting married. Yeah, I'm, I, uh, so Daisy came here when she was 16. She graduated early and just came over to Kauai. She had a boyfriend at the time. I was like this skinny little zitty guy, <laughs> like the like kid that, you know, Bowl cut. not too popular, just like mostly teased. And, you know, I, I love to be out in nature, hiking, looking for shells and surfing and being in the water. Um, definitely, you know, a lot be- better looking dudes around. <laughs> but, uh, you know, for some reason, for whatever reason, you know, Daisy, she just uh, was always such a light. Everyone loves to hang out with her because she's so fun. She, you know, we became friends and um, she didn't really see me as a threat. So it was like her boyfriend's like, oh yeah, you can hang out with that guy. No worries. You know, like, uh, <laughs> um, but I had like a, you know, an underlying plan. And, and at the same time though, I really just knew then, like I had this inner knowing, I don't know how to explain it really. Um, I knew that she would be my wife one day. Oh my gosh, you're going to make me cry. So cute. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, she, like I said, she had a boyfriend. They did, we know, we ended up like hanging out a little bit after that. And then, you know, our, our we started, sur- you know, both started kind of our surfing careers. And um, not too long after, she moved back to Oahu. We pretty much didn't connect for 10 years. 11. Like a long time. We would see each other and here or there, maybe randomly in passing. She had, you know, ended up dating, had a boyfriend for a long time. Can I share, can I interject here? Because this is a really good part of the story. Yeah. So I actually, every time I saw him, I was like so freaked out because he was so good looking. He turned went from like the ugly duckling to the like swan. <laughs> and- <laughs> Like, I remember even, you know, I was dating Joel and he goes, Hey, have you seen all your friends on the, in, in the new Vogue magazine? And I was like, no, I haven't. I'm looking through the magazine and I see like, cause Fuller, you know, Danny Fuller yeah. and all of Danny yeah. and Bruce, we all, we all hung out on Kauai when I moved here when I was 16 and I go, wow, who's that guy on the front? And he goes, that's your friend Amayan. And I literally remember like having like a welt in my throat, like, oh my God, <laughs> shut up. That's Amayan. Oh my gosh. So then every time I saw him, I was like, hey, what's up, mine?" And like kept going. And like, you know, he literally was like this turned into this, like, I mean, anyways, I don't know if you ever saw him at 24, but 25 was like. I'm coming okay. on a pile now, but. No, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, that's anyways. Fantastic. So yeah, that was a big deal is that like he had grown up into this guy and then it was, yeah, you want to, you can keep. Going. Yeah, no. So, you know, it, it was funny because. Let's see. We randomly were on a flight together to California. Her mom, her and her mom were moving to California to start a clothing line. And I was randomly going over there for whatever. We we ended up like spooning the whole flight <laughs> all the way over. Uh, <laughs> I remember he was reading like this really thick book. Like this, I don't know, like what was that series that you love? Wilbur Smith. Wilbur Smith, yeah. And, he, and oh, I was classic. sitting there at him and he was like reading, you know, he's so hot reading this big book. And I remember thinking... I wonder if this was my husband, if that would annoy me that he was like not paying attention to me. I mean, I literally was having these thoughts like so funny at like 21 or whatever, you know, so funny. So how do you spoon in a seat on an airplane like that? How did that happen? Three seater, you know, just kind of like I wasn't very comfortable, but she was. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's fantastic. But yeah, so anyways, we land, you know, whatever. She gives me her number or something. I end up losing her number next. No, no, you got, remember, you got my number. I changed my phone number. And that's how I knew that we saw each other again. And like, I, I was, he was always surrounded by these girls. Like anytime I went out and I'd see him, there'd always be like four or five girls around him. So 
this one night I had a couple glasses of wine. I was single. I was on the dance floor and I see him with like a table of girls around him. So I just like moved him over and I was like, Hey, we should hang out sometime. And he goes, I just tried to call you yesterday, but you must, you, I, you didn't give me the right number. And I go, no, I changed my number. And immediately it was like, it was pretty much on. We got married. Like, well, the funny thing was that, that next, so she's like, okay, let's meet for sunrise at the Mokes. So it's a little hike. You got to hike up on the East side to go Pillbox. watch the sunrise. Pillbox. And uh, I'm like, all right. But I had already committed to a bunch of friends, you know, every weekend for a while there we were doing you do the designated driver to town with your boys right so freddie p all the north shore crew i was a designated driver that night <laughs> so we go to town everyone's raging rage till like two in the morning i drive back everyone all the way drop everyone off at their houses and then carry on east side bound to make the 5 a.m to meet her at starbucks <laughs> so i stayed up all night to meet her at starbucks and then we get the, you know, hike in the dark to the sunrise on the pillbox. And that was kind of the, that was the nail in the coffin. Right wow. there. Well, like, I remember like hiking up and literally feeling like, oh my gosh, this is my husband. And just tripping out because I wasn't ready yet. I was like, I wasn't ready to get married, but I like felt this inner knowing like whole, like kind of like what he was talking about when he was younger, maybe where I was just like, this is it. This is my husband. I remember he like touched my back and I was like, oh my gosh, he's touching my back. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And then it was crazy because we were supposed to, I was supposed to leave two days later. And so we hiked to the pillbox that we don't see each other. I get food poisoning. He gets food poisoning at totally different restaurants. And this was back in the day that if you missed a flight from Oahu to California, there wasn't a lot of flights. You were stuck for like a week. There wasn't a lot of flights coming back and forth, back and forth. So you had to make your flight or else you were going to be stuck until the next one opened, which was usually, you know, one, two weeks later. So I couldn't get on the flight. We're both stuck with food poisoning. And it was like a week of us just hanging out. And then we knew, you know, I, or he knew, because he asked me to marry him in New Zealand about two months later, we're like engaged. So, yeah. So I was doing a road, a trip in New Zealand and I asked her to fly out. I, I had an RV uh, picked her up at the airport there on the South Island. Um, and I had this spot in mind and I was like jamming just to, just to get to this spot. Um, this one river and, uh, you know, we <laughs> finally get the right, right at sunset. We run out of the car. We're like, I'm like, we got to go jump in. Like we got to, you know, just get in the water. And, uh, she doesn't like cold water. She's 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 not a cold. I mean, she loves to do the quick plunge, but anyway, <laughs> running this, we're, we're running to this spot that I had in mind, and I just hear this animal getting like killed. Someone's like someone's like funny. killing an animal, like rawr, like it was like radical. So I said, I'm like, oh, we can't go that way. We got to run this way. So we like divert and start running downstream. And uh, anyways, I. I I get on a knee, asked her to marry me there. Two knees. It was super cute. Two you could knees. tell he was really oh, nervous. Dave did the double knee oh, too. No. <laughs> double knee. Oh, we're, we're so oh, desperate. Yeah. We're so desperate. Am I? That's just great. Know, just, that, please, 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 please marry me. Pretty soon there's gonna be laying on. You know, people are gonna be laying down. <laughs> but um, but then you know the the craziest thing here was, so we do, I jump in. It's frigid frigid i Wait, jump sure. in and i'm like praying trying to pretend it's not cold i'm like come on babe jump in it's uh, you know you gotta you gotta like serenade we gotta like make the bond you know and uh right when she's like launches i'm like scratching to get out and i slip on the bank and a, and i slip and my foot gets stuck on a hook a fish hook it's tied to the bottom somehow a big fish hook the hook goes into my foot right behind my big toe and it's stuck to the bottom and it's about six feet, seven feet deep. And I have to go underwater and uh, I couldn't get up. So I had to go underwater and get like in this crazy position to bite the line. Wow. To get, to get my foot out, <laughs> to get it, just to get out of the river, which was cold. But anyways, that was like a, that was like the, you know, the final, like, okay, you're hooked, you know? <laughs> oh There's some deep symbology there. That's, that's yeah. amazing. I'm interested to know your theory on that kind of overwhelming love. Is it destiny? Is it divine intervention? Is it choice? Like, how do you make sense of those feelings? Well, we're like coming up on 17 years married 
like October 10th. And um, I think it's strange with a mind. I feel like we've been doing this for lifetimes. I feel like we have been like this. Is, I don't know how many times we've fallen out of love or in love. Sorry. <laughs> we've actually fallen out of love a few times too. That's called marriage. But hmm. we have always come back stronger. And I think that like now, like I'm more in love with him now than I've ever been actually because we, because we put the time in to do the work and we, you know what I mean? But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how that happens. Hmm. You know, a lot of people fall out, get married, like so in love and they kind of fall out of love. We got married so quick and it was like, okay, how do we do this? Or, or like we're married and like, okay, we didn't know each other well, even though we were friends when we were kids. So we had to like, almost like grow and fall in love as we went and we did. And, but now I feel like I love him more than I've ever have. Mm, that's a great, I, I love that trajectory. It's, um, I'm, I'm sorry, Amine, do you have uh, something to add to that? I was just going to say that it's, uh, um, you know, it is, it's like, uh, it's peaks and valleys, you know? And mm. then there's, there's that plane that just like the sun is shining and mm. you're walking hand in hand and, and, um, and that is more often than the peaks and valleys and the peaks and valleys really set you up for that. You know, there's so much distraction mm. and people can sabotage each other unknowingly a lot of times too, you know, mm. and uh, it's being able to just really communicate with, with, with each other. We've, we've gotten to a point where we can really communicate well and um, you know, we work on ourselves to be better. Mm. Um, Am I, yeah. I, I'm not surprised to hear you use the living world as a analogy, you know, the symbolism of peaks and valleys. And, and I think that's something that um, we as, you know, water people, we all are here, um, our kids too now. Um, our immersion in the living world, I think, can be such a source of strength and guidance. And so through something like marriage and, and deep long-term relationships, knowing that all life here has that wave motion or has that peak and valley type of nature to it is so helpful when we are in a time of challenge. You know, for Lauren and I, we we always use the analogy of surface chop and turbulence in the ocean and that there's always surface chop there's always some sort of noise and chaos on the surface but if we let go and sink down deeper there is a calm and there is a clarity there that is always very helpful and very guiding to know that underneath yeah all the the daily stuff of life and the surface there is that sort of depth so with that in mind, I know for Lauren and I, when you all were last here, uh, which was a few years ago, you had your third child, Daisy, in your belly. Lauren had our little boy, Mino, in her belly. And we were just so head over heels for how you two were parenting your other two beautiful children and that we were here playing along the creek edge and going down to the secret beach here and true and given were just all over the living world they were just so lit up and engaged and imaginative and for us like really since then we have kept you in our parenting mind as such wonderful examples um i don't really have a question here i just I wanted do. to gush um <laughs> and, and say thank you for that so i'll pass it to lauren to turn that into a question <laughs> Um, I'm really interested to know about the legacy or influence of both of your parents in your own lives, because we saw you doing parenting in our eyes just so beautifully and letting your kids take risks and be in their bodies and, um, and really just nourishing, you know, who they are to become. I was wondering how you learned to parent that way and if you've had to depart from some of your own parents' habits or patterns along the way? I mean, my, my dad was the ultimate freedom parent. He, he had zero fear ever. I mean, he was just, he's, he's such a lover and, and so um, present 
and grounded. So I was kind of raised by all different kinds of people and free to be who I wanted to be. Uh, there wasn't too much hmm. parenting as far as like, don't do that. Yeah. Yelling or, or, or beating or anything like that. Not like that's parenting, but just, there wasn't any of that. And yeah, I mean, in Fiji too, uh, as it was another real, just being in that culture and seeing how from a baby, I mean, you're just kind of, you're a part of the village and you're, you're out just doing your thing. You know, there's, um, that was definitely a big part of it for me. Uh, I never had a, my mom, my real mom, uh, my dad took me when I was young. I didn't have a mom in my life until I was about seven, but I had all the Fijian women, which are just like the most amazing moms on the planet, you know? So it comes from that. Um, Daisy's a little, definitely very different than me on the parenting side. You mean from when I grew up? From how you grew up, yeah. Yeah, my parents weren't present at all which gave me a lot of freedom to just like run, which um, wasn't always a good thing, obviously, because, you know, there's also a lot of dysfunction at home. So I would, you know, I wasn't always, I wasn't like, I was always kind of looking for the the trouble, which wasn't the best thing. But here, I mean, that was the one of the main reasons why I always, even before I was with the mine, I saw myself in a place like this where there wasn't a lot of trouble to get into, but there was a lot of nature. And that was what always saved me when I was growing up was nature, hmm. being able to find, you know, just a, a bush of flowers that I could just look at and pull like one petal off at a time or whatever it was. That was always what, what drew me back to the stillness of who I really was instead of all the chaos that was going around me. So um, I, I always felt like if we could do that, give them that nature and also, you know, do our work to stay together and be a solid foundation, one that I didn't have, that would be a powerful, a powerful duo, you know, and it, it has, it has proven that. I mean, three is a whole different story for sure. Three kids, because it's just, it's a different club. Like you're in a different club when you have three, it's like from, I think they say from three to six, it's like the same, you know, like there's just, it's just a different kind of crazy that is so beautiful and also can bring you to your knees pretty quickly. Hmm. Um, but that's also, you know, that's what we've, what we've asked for. We've called that into our life and, and, you know, I don't think that we're, we're great at it. I think we're on most days we're pretty good and we're getting better. You know, I, I like, I will, I search podcasts, I read books. I, cause I, you know, having shine has brought me to my knees and in, in, in a totally new way of what does that mean for you, Daisy? Well, for me, you know, I'm always praying for wisdom. Like since I've been, you know, little, I've always been like, I just want wisdom. Like, give me wisdom, give me wisdom. Well, wisdom usually comes through trauma, through hardships, through mm. you know, being, having your face drugged through the mud. And this little guy has done that from day one. Not like, it's not bad. It's just, it's just really brought me to see myself in the areas in my heart that were dark and needed light in a beautiful way though. It's a beautiful thing when your kid can help you do that instead of some, you know, some massive car accident or, you know what I mean? Or you get your, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of different ways that, that people are, are taught how to find their best self. And he basically, because I'm looking daily on how, how can I be better? How can I become my best true self, the best version of myself? And he teaches me, I mean, all three of them do patience, kindness, love, um, that unconditional love that's quiet when you want to yell, which some, a lot of times I do yell because it's like, <laughs> it gets a little crazy here, <laughs> you know, but, um, but they also know like, oh, like I was never, I never swore. I was like, I was like, not, I would never swear. Now, if I, if I throw an F-bomb out, they all get real quiet and they know like, okay, mom, we need to listen to mom because this is serious. But now I know where the boundaries are, where like, they know too, like, okay, this is how far we can push her. And now it's, we have a 13 year old, a 10 year old that thinks she's 16 and she looks like she's 16 and a three-year-old that's literally like ruling the, he rules the roost. He's like triple Scorpio rules the roost. Like it's all about what, what he's doing. And um, the big one is this um, really trying not to react and to mm. give the, give ourselves a little more time to breathe just a little extra breath before reacting. Because a lot of time in the end of the day, it's like, 
is it really worth a reaction? He's looking for a reaction. He's wanting us to react because he wants our attention or, or either one of them. Yeah, it's, the reacting is, is a big one. Finding, you know. Well, I've learned to put myself in timeout. Hmm. Like with, with two, I was like with two of them. I was I had a, I was so like I you could I was like dealing cards. Like I was just like I got it covered. When when Shine came along, I realized, you know, he pushes me to my edge, and so it's to me. I'm I'm so grateful. It's just a complete gratitude for this child for for coming in and being who he is and. You know, because like Amaya said, I've never, we've never had a kid that loves this hard. Like the kid will hold your face and tell you how beautiful you are. And he loves you and holds you. Can we snuggle? Oh, one more snuggle. And I just, I love you. I love you. But when it flips, because, you know, the same coin has love and hate on both sides. Hmm. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'll be back. I got to put myself in timeout because I know that if I don't walk outside and take a few breaths and pray for help, because it gets like that sometimes. And if you're a mother of of world changers, you know, or a father, that holy pause is the best wisdom I could ever ask for. Knowing that there's a a time in your life for all areas of your life, when you have to take a holy pause and just step away and not answer the question that you don't know how to answer or, or not get in a fight with your spouse or walk away from a business decision that you're not sure about, whatever it is, taking that holy pause and just sitting in silence and regrouping and finding your stillness, you know, and that's kind of like, to me, what our whole brand slow yourself down is about. It's about finding that mindset of being centered to make the best decision possible. And in parenting, you are constantly, especially the more kids you add to the mix, constantly taught on, you know, here's another moment. How are you going to react? Here's another moment. How's it going to go? You know, it's Mm. so I, we really appreciate you guys saying that though. That means a lot for you guys to say that about us as parents. So thank you. Oh yeah. Mm. Gosh. What, as a total beginner parent with one four-year-old, what, what strikes me so often is that parenting, especially during these toddler years is such an invitation to move beyond, um, my own toddler instincts to react in immature ways <laughs> because yeah. what what you realize quickly or what I feel like we've realized quickly is that what we say and how we react to him eventually becomes his inner dialogue, his inner monologue, and our, our words are just so powerful in our children's minds over time. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, how much damage can they really truly do? That's, Mm. you know, really bad. Mm. I mean, I just, I just think of kids and feet like that's what one of my big things is we're trying to get back to Fiji, get back even more remote so that there's Mm. not as much distractions. There's not as much, you know, just screens and whatever else that come along with just being in a full Americanized society. But like babies, you know, the parents are doing their thing, washing clothes, scrubbing this, cutting coconuts, making food, whatever. And the babies are, you know, in the dirt, like chewing on a chicken bone, you know, or whatever, <laughs> like that they found over there, you know, and like, and they're, they stand up and they're like, you know, looking at her, they're just dirty. And, you know, maybe they're going to run. Their friends are watching them. Their brother who's five is watching them and they're, you know, nine months old or whatever. And I mean, we go so far into this like idea that we know what's best for them a lot of times. And Mm. it's like the best possible thing for them is for us just to let them be free and not everything that we tell them not to do is just putting fear in their minds. Like, why didn't they want me to do that? Lauren, I think you know that on the head, like we can do more damage by our actions than by letting them kind of do the thing. Like we have a, like we have chickens and shy loves to hold the chickens and he squeezes them. He'll like throw them up in the air. Like I, it's really hard for me to watch cause I'm like such an animal lover. And Amaya and I get these things back and forth. Like, he's like, well, what's really gonna happen to the chicken? I'm like, well, he could like hurt the chicken. It could like, you know, sometimes it's limping away literally, but it always comes back and it's fine. And so but the chicken lets him catch him and, and, and play yeah, with him. It's you very know? strange. It's very strange. <laughs> I mean, the chicken could get away from him, but the chicken lets this little guy tackle him and, and grab him. You know? We'd like to take a moment to recognize the generous folks who help make this podcast possible. The Water People podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Sanook. 
1997, founder Jeff Kelly started out with one simple goal, to make people smile and to encourage them to pass it on. Sanook has been advocating for a more playful and inclusive surfing culture for more than two decades, while crafting some of the comfiest footwear around. Thanks to Sanook for your support and for encouraging water people around the globe to protect their happy places. Learn more about Sanook's partnership with the Surfrider Foundation at sanook.com. Thanks to Gary McNeil Concepts, who put together cosmic boards for cosmic people. Gaz's boards combine recycled and plant-based materials that are built to last without sacrificing performance. To learn more, head to garymcnealconcepts.com. I'm really interested in that moment back there where you said you're thinking of trying to get back to Fiji and basically get out of that Americanized space there in Hawaii. And I'm just curious if, because obviously you're not in Fiji right now, how do you dance that line? Can I just interject some statistics? Okay. Yeah, sure. So I was looking last night, the average American child spends four to seven minutes a day in unstructured outdoor play and wow. over over seven hours a day in front of a screen. Oh my gosh, that just gave me goosebumps down my body. See, and Rasta, Is that for real? What you yeah. talked about there with the ripples on the surface. For all these kids that are having that, what you just spoke about, that four minutes of outdoor time or seven minutes, there's going to be tsunamis on, and tidal waves on the surface because yeah. they're not, the grounding is not there. Mm. It's like That's so when sad. You, the, we're able to go under the ripples because we're grounded and connected. Mm. to the other earth that we all love and these ocean and whatnot. But like, it's just a dis, it's just taking away from these poor kids that have no, they have no idea that it's happening to them, mm. but it, it's, it's like stripping them from the core that they, their, their foundation. And yeah, bringing back to the Fiji, the Fiji thing is, what was the question? Well, I was curious. So, so you obviously have a desire to get to that place you know, to the remote Fijian islands and do parenting there like you experienced as a child of mine, but but you're not there now. So so when the kids are at home and they're tackling chickens and, and living in that great little wild space that you inhabit there, how do you dance that experience that they're having then and then when they go to a friend's house and everyone's staring at a little screen? What are some of the things that you do that can help others who hear this navigate that challenge? We definitely try, not nothing against any of their friends or anything, but we definitely try to minimize, we try to keep them here as much as possible. And then, you know, they go and play with their friends and whatnot. But we, we let, and lately they've been staying nights here and there randomly. But, um, you know, we just give them the information. Well, can as I interject? best as we can, too. It's you know, definitely a battle with our kids. Like they want to be on the screens for. That's the thing that's so tricky is our kids are in nature. It's a flipped, right? So they get like thirty minutes a day if they're lucky to be on the screen, and they're always wanting more. They're always wanting to like fight about it. They want, you know, they want more screen. You, you know, our kids, our friends let their their kids do this and that. I mean, that's the thing about Fiji is we want to get away so that they don't have a choice. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. so crazy. Kids want to be on the screens and you can't blame them. I mean, look at, you know, like we get on our phones and we're zoned out. You know what I mean? We're scrolling through. It's, it's an addictive device. And, you know, it's very, um, it's very apparent and not just in the kids, in the parents as well. And so, mm-hmm. It's become our society. It's become who we are. But it's a it's a everyday battle with us to get our kids off the screens. Mm. Although yeah, they definitely want to be in nature, you know. But we we try to set them up like, hey, thirty minutes a day. I try to do the thing where it turns it off, and they outsmarted that thing. I mean, they're. It comes you know, back to oneself, the parent, actually getting off the screen themselves mm. and out in nature. Mm. Uh, just just making that prior that a priority you know, taking away um, any other, obviously when you have young kids, you only have a certain amount of time to parent. And um, those are really important years. Those from baby to, to 10 years old. And that's up to the parent. It, there's a lot of sacrifices the parent has to make, you know, in order to, to do that, to be, because they can't expect the kid just to go do it. They have to be, I'm bored. They say, I'm bored. You're like, okay, let's go. Let's go for this hike. We're going to go up and like, 
just try and build a tree house in this little this tree up the valley there or we're gonna you know go and and fruit gather and look for whatever fruit or wild yams whatever is available at the time somewhere wherever you live something that that taps you into nature that they can find because if you're involved and you make it fun they're they're like what let's go okay yeah well then the truth of it is though i'll leave a lot of people listening to this podcast like that's not that's not something that people have access to Hmm. you know a lot of people Hmm. live in the cities a lot of people are listening to us like okay whatever you hawaiians live out in the you know you live out there and it's like this perfect place but the truth is is that most people work nine to five to just to make the move. Most mm. people have to, you know, work three jobs to make ends meet. And the screen has become the best babysitter for people. So the all, the other thing to that is to find playgroups where, you know, which is, it's totally around. It's becoming more and more popular where people have playgroups with three or four kids where they take turns with, with a parent or whatever. And there's, there isn't screens for a few hours, at least so the kids are getting a break because that's, that's the truth is like, it has become easy for society to put their kid in front of a screen so people can work, people can have, do their their life. And I think there has to be a med- um, like a middle ground. Like for me, I, I have my work when my kids are in school. And as soon as they're out of school, I try to be as present as possible. You know, there's like, get those magnetic blocks, do puzzles, do, there's things that you can do inside that can get their brains thinking a different way, you know, get a pet. I mean, a lot of, a lot of parents don't want to have a pet because it's, um, it's more work for them, but to see what happens when a kid has a pet to take care of, hang out with that bond that can happen between them. I mean, there's other ways you don't need to have like move to Hawaii and ha- or Australia and have a bunch of nature, you know, mm-hmm. like there's other ways. Yeah. One of the things that I, I was struck by, you know, when you all and the kids were here, but also in watching your film given, um, was that how incredibly capable young children are, toddlers in particular, if we give them the opportunity to experiment and uh, learn how to use their bodies, learn how to fall. Yeah, I, I feel like we've come to a point as a culture where we define parenting as this, <laughs> really as saying no, or like blocking from risk. And, and we've come to define parenting in a way that is often so condescending to children and so limiting for children's creativity, largely because of the economic system that we're in. That means that most people don't have, like you were saying, Daisy, the time to raise kids in the way that probably most of us would prefer to. So just to to zoom out a little bit, I'm really interested to know, outside of the, the mundane day-to-day trying to... Um, yeah, make a household flow smoothly. What is a parent's job? What do you see as the role of a parent? I think to just instill that they can have happiness, they can have joy amongst what they're doing, whether it's their work, their play, their school. That's been my, personally, my biggest thing with our kids because especially with all the hormones that are happening with you know our son and our daughter, is just reminding them that they hold they hold their future. They're attracting their future. So by putting out, whatever you're putting out is what's going to come back in. So trying to get them to realize that they can create their own joy and happiness right where they are. They don't need a screen. They don't need, you know, a friend to come over. They don't need um, us to sit there and entertain them. They can sit down and do draw a pretty picture, or they can go out and play in the yard with their animals, or they can go to the beach and just look at the ocean and, you know, and stare at the ocean I think that's what's it's like almost like a numb, like a numbing down that society's doing where you're not allowed to be happy and joyful. That's why it starts with the, no, don't do that. Uh, uh-uh, You can't, it's like, let the kids be who they want to be, which is really is joy, vibrance, being present in every moment. We actually condition them to not be like that. We're not like that. You know, as we get older, we get more and more jaded, but we actually, we teach them that. And so that's kind of, I'm trying to get creative and finding ways where they feel like they can find their joy and their creativity. Just this morning, our son went diving with his two friends and they took their boat out and he's 13, you know, he's like a hormone mania and he's cracking up in the back of the truck. We can hear him. And we're just like, it just feels so good to hear your kids laughing. We need more laughter in the world. The world's already too serious. The world is so serious. We need more laughter and more joy to to create the peace that we all talk about 
Mm. Yeah, we were talking about this yesterday, um, how differently Minoa behaves if Dave and I have been podcasting for a couple of hours, a few days in a row, how we can feel the disconnection in his body. We can see it and he can express it now with words. But I think another piece of what you were speaking to, Daisy, is about creating a foundation of connection and making the time to really have extended periods of eye contact. I mean, it's different depending on how old your child is, but like really being present, even if it's for 10 minutes, giving giving that undivided attention, preferably outside in a wild space um, where you can both just drop into real um, unstructured time out of time together. We found that to be so essential in terms of defining our job as parents with him. Mm. Yeah, mine. And have you got any thoughts to add to that? Yeah, I just triggered a thing in my brain just from what my dad said. Like when there was people around, my dad would always lift me up and put me on his shoulders or put me on and hold me so that I could I could be face to face with people around. And then but when he was with me, he was always down on my level, like sitting or squatting or, you know playing with me as a, as a kid. And it, and it may, it resonated with me. And I do that with our kids or try to, at least, especially given I did it a lot with, I don't know, for whatever reason that popped in my brain. Mm, I actually, um, Daisy, I was curious when you mentioned earlier that, you know, you were growing up and your parents and your home space wasn't that rosy and available. So you, you go to the the bush or you go to the beach or you go to a, a tree that was flowering and pick petals like you said and that that's a an amazing coping mechanism and a support system to be able to turn to uh, the living world and so with your three kids now do you feel like you've been able to sort of pass that skill on that that ability that if you know shit's hitting the fan and emotions are running hot and feelings are big they can turn to, you know, a walk in the forest or go down the beach, have a swim or a surf to gain some clarity. Are you seeing any signs of that? Or do you try and cultivate that ability in the kids? I mean, we've tried to, we definitely try to do that. Like when, you know, Gibbon's got a temper, when his temper flares, we say, you know, go, go for a walk, go outside. A lot of them don't want to, they want to just like face it and be and sit in the problem or sit in the, the conflict. Um, but just even this podcast is making me realize so much that we are farther away than we think we are from the bullseye that we need to like come back in a lot of ways. So I'm, I'm just incredibly grateful that you guys even gave us this time today because it's really making me reflect, but I think kids, kids learn by what you do, mm. you know? So when I'm taking that, when I'm saying, Hey mom needs a timeout, they're learning like, okay, so mom's about to lose it. She's going to go outside and she's going to chill out for a second. They're picking up on that. Um, you know, that's a big one when they see me and, and, and they'll even say sometimes when I'm getting like on a, my tea kettles getting like hotter and hotter and they can see it. True. will literally say, mom, you need to go outside. You have a timeout. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't want mom to get mad. You know, like mom, like when I'm mad, it's like, they even say like, oh yeah, auntie so-and-so is gnarly, but not as gnarly as you, you know? So <laughs> but, but really teaching that to them. And even with, with shine, you know, like, I'll just be like, okay, I need you to take, like, let's just take a deep breath. I'm like, I don't want to take a deep breath. I'm like, just a little, take a little breath in. Let's just start with a little breath. and like, let's slowly get into it. And like, you know, but realizing that it's, it's, it's progress over perfection, you know, like just always try to be progressing in all, in all that we do. And, and that's where, you know, for me, being a mom is everything, you know, that's my, my greatest dream that I was living it and it's my greatest challenge and it's my greatest accomplishment you know so and um, communication I mean yeah like when we do you know when we are out of line as parents and, and do do you know say something mean or you know whatever it is to be able to go back and and, and admit that, that that was the wrong thing and, and I was acting in rage and I'm sorry and yeah and I love you so much and mm. uh is being real with them and that's always huge and it makes them be real with you and speak their truth which is really awesome you know uh, with given like obviously he's my first he's our first and he's my biggest teacher because i can get fired up with him 
because of how fiery he gets. And then it's just like, you know, fire doesn't match fire. So it's been a good, you know, it's, it's an intense and really fun relationship. You know, you always got to be the father in the end, which is, which is, it's not easy, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but he's such a good little guy. And, um, you know, we get through it all. We, we communicate, which is huge. Mine's just really good at that. He's, he's really good at like coming back not too long after and just being like, and explaining it takes me sometimes like a whole day to come back because what i it takes me a lot to get mad and then it's really hard for me to come down off of that and just be cool you know like everything's cool like the, you know kids are like Rah! and then all of a sudden they're like oh i love you everything's fine i'm like i'm not fine yet okay i like super <laughs> I guess my blood's still boiling like you need to just you know mom needs space right now you know mm. but they're um you know, they're, they're incredible teachers, like Amayan said, and Amayan is too. Amayan's really good at that. I'm really hearing that word a lot in both of you speaking, teaching, and it sounds as though you both are very humbly assuming a student role, you know, like a humble position of learning. And, and I feel like that's, that's a real inspiration. And I think, I can imagine anyway, a lot of people who listen to this will reflect on that and that in parenting, we can often take this sort of assumed authoritarian sort of uh, feeling about ourselves. Like, oh, we know better. We've been here longer. We we understand these situations better than you, little child. And so we take that sort of position. But, but I really hope that people uh, take away from this what I'm taking away right now, which is that humble student perspective and that there's an opportunity for learning and there's an opportunity for growth in all of these challenging and wonderful moments. So I'm, I'm super grateful for you all carrying the parenting experience the way you do, but also the way you talk about it, because I think there's a lot that can be learned from just those specific words that you're using. Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm, thanks. The journey. Daisy, I You've been writing about how you're building a business around the idea of slow yourself down. And I was just interested to know what that means for each of you. Yeah, for us, it's it's about practicing in any moment that you can remember, because life is busy, to just be present and to be, you know, grateful for what's right in front of you. I think that that's totally underlooked at how that can change our world, you know, is just by those simple moments of really putting off that vibration, that high, high, high vibration of gratitude, because it also brings you back to realize that your stuff that's bad, isn't that bad. And that, you know, we are living incredible lives and we're excited because it's taking off. People really um, resonate with slow yourself down. They resonate with that because they felt it. When COVID hit, we all slowed ourselves down and we all got to see and feel what was really important in life for a brief minute. And um, for us, it's it's a it's a movement. It's not a brand. It's a movement of, of creating a mindset where people can be present right here, right now. <laughs> and aren't children magnificent at that? Yes, that's they're our greatest teachers, like I said earlier. But that's that's really for the next generation. That's really what we see this, you know, being. Yeah, we all want to become that child again and have that joy and that laugh, that laughter, that deep, deep laughter that we talked about our oldest boy having this morning where it's like, when someone laughs like that, you laugh. Thanks to Daisy and Amayan for setting aside a precious hour of kid-free time to share with us today. Many thanks always to our sound engineer and editor, Shannon Saul Carroll. The podcast soundtracks are also composed by Shannon with additional music by the Band of Frequencies. On behalf of myself, Lauren Hill, and my partner in rhyme, Dave Rastovich, thanks for making the time to listen with us. If you have a spare moment, please consider leaving a review of the podcast or sharing an episode with a friend. Both help us to find the best stories from our global community of water people. We'll be continuing today's conversation on Instagram, where we're at Water People Podcast. You can find every episode and some extras on our website, waterpeoplepodcast.com. <laughs>